Praise the Lord again that the Savior is living, risen, alive, and well, preparing a place for us, making intercession for us at the right hand of God the Father. And uh, what a wonderful day to just remember and to appreciate the gifts that God has given us. Take your Bibles this morning, turn to Luke chapter number 23 and 24. Luke chapters number 23 and 24. We're going to read just a few verses to begin here at the beginning of verse 20 of chapter 24. Uh, and have a word of prayer as we begin, and then we're going to come back through and look through uh, the end of the crucifixion through the resurrection this morning. Uh, and so I hope and ask that you'll pray as we pray and ask the Lord to open your heart, speak to you. Uh, one thing's for sure, if you close your heart off, then you won't hear anything. You won't get anything but words. And so, But if our hearts are open and we're asking God to speak to us, uh, then it's amazing what the Lord and the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. So... Luke chapter number 24, just in these first four verses or so, uh, or maybe five. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing, for, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they enter in and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were affrighted and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Now I want to speak to you this morning on the thought, things are different now. Let's pray. Father, as we thank you for the day, Lord, we thank you for your resurrection power. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I realize this morning that it is something that we accept by faith because we've seen you working in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, what a wonderful thing it is to know you in such a way. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd meet with us now, that you'd convict us of our sin, that you would convince us of the truth of your word and our resurrected Savior. Lord, I pray that your will would be done in every person's life this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the thought of being different, this is, it's, and this is, a, you know, really a deep uh, definition here, but it simply means not the same as before. To, to look at something, and we use the term, it's to, to, but we use it so casually, sometimes uh, we, we just apply just a, a subtle change. That is, does make something different. But what we're talking about today is not a subtle difference. What we're talking about today is a profound difference. We're talking about something that is radically changed from what it was before. You know, it's not unusual for things to be changing. And actually, it's just a normal part of the process of life. Uh, things change. Sometimes uh, things change for good. Sometimes things change for bad. But things are always changing. We're not the same today as we once were. Some of us are uh, maybe a lot better today than we used to be. Others are uh, probably a lot worse off than we were years ago. And that's true of our spiritual conditions. It's also true of our physical condition. Uh, at my advancing age, I, I look at uh, back at old pictures and I see the change when I look in the mirror and it's not a good change. It's not a change that I'm real excited about. Uh, and uh, I look forward to, you know, the next 15 or 20 years if the Lord's gracious and lets me live into my uh, into my mid-70s or so, then I'm thinking, you know, I really don't even want to know what I'm going to look like whenever I get there. It's not going to be a good change. And so, uh, you know, I, it's just one of those things that takes place. But things are changing. You can't stop change. Change is going to happen. But normally change takes place over a period of time. 
We talk about the aging process. It's not uh, something that is real dramatic from one day to the next. It is something that can be uh, maybe a little bit eye-catching from one year to the next once you get to a certain point. Uh, but there's also always the, the, the looking at, you know, a five-year gap, a 10-year gap, a 20-year gap, at the, at the traumatic change, a dramatic change, depending on which side of, the, of your age bracket you're on. Uh, we look at things and just say, you know, this change in this process has been gradual. Uh, you know, it, it's something that just comes about over time. Usually, whenever sudden abrupt change takes place, it's not good change. I realize that that's not necessarily always the case, but for the most part, when change happens that's tragic, when change happens that's abrupt, it's usually something that's very devastating in our lives. Uh, and oftentimes the things that we see that were, that seemed to be uh, immediate were really years in the making. I, I think about uh, something like a sinkhole, where you, everything on the surface looks amazing uh, and normal, and it, you can't really detect that anything's going on, but underneath, uh, the, the, everything's being eroded until finally it just collapses and you have this massive home. Sometimes homes are swollen up in these holes. Sometimes uh, other things that, that, that someone could be driving across and just collapse into this massive hole. Uh, those things seem immediate and they seem uh, to be spontaneous, but in reality they've been developing for a long time. People don't fall away from serving God overnight. You don't just serve God and love God with all your heart uh, one day and get up the next day and say, you know what, I'm done with that. If that's the case, you say, well, pastor, what if someone gets hurt or something happens here? Listen, if it causes me to dramatically change the way that I live, then there's been some erosion going on within me for a really long time. Uh, and so it's not something that takes place suddenly or overnight, uh, and, and, but it, it, it happens. An abrupt change comes. When we commemorate and think about the resurrection of the Lord, this change was long foretold. This change, this thing that was coming, this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was something that should have caught no one by surprise that had knowledge of the scriptures. Though uh, when you live it, sometimes it's a little bit harder to find, to catch on that you're actually in what's going on in the moment. And so this change comes about and what we witness or what we experience when we think about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is probably the most profound day of change in all of eternity. There's never been an event like this event. There's never been anything that so dramatically changed what we were in one moment to the next. When we come and we look and see what God did and how God made his truth and fulfilled his promises and, uh, and revealed himself to mankind, we see uh, that when he came, this became a pivotal moment in history. And what I mean by that is that temporary atonement, the atonement sacrifice that they had to make on an annual basis uh, was, no longer, uh, was no longer to be made. It was the temporary atonement pivoted to a full and permanent and complete atonement. Our sins this morning are not resting on uh, the temporary appeasement of God's wrath and justice because of the sacrifice of an animal, but they have been fulfilled forever and for eternity by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, a permanent sacrifice. God's justice has been satisfied. God's wrath has been put to rest when it comes to the sins of, of mankind and our salvation. Every debt has been paid. The account has been reconciled. Permanent death 
pivoted to eternal life. Before this moment, death was not just certain, but without the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, death was to be for eternity, forever. Man separated, the soul of man separated from God and suffering the punishment uh, of our sin and paying the debt that would take an eternity to repay. But when Jesus rose from the grave, there was no longer permanent death, but there now was available permanent life. On that day pivoted the promise of a coming Messiah to a risen Savior. You understand this morning that he's no longer promised, but he's here. It's no longer about placing our hope in something that will take place. It's about to take it, putting our hope in something that has taken place. Today we remember the day that changed promise to power, that changed hopelessness to hope, that changed grief into joy. You see, during this pivotal moment in history, the first thing we see this morning is that there was a sacrifice. What did it take to change the world forever? What did it take to change our position in Christ, our position in God forever? And the first thing we see is that there was a sacrifice. Notice in Luke chapter number 23, just in the previous chapter, beginning in verse number 44, <coughs> the Bible says here, and it was about the sixth hour, and Jesus is already on the cross. This is about the sixth hour and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. You see, we think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and we often think that this was something that just caught uh, Jesus off guard or God off guard. But in fact, this had been promised since Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. From the moment that man sinned and fell in the garden and chose uh, to sin and reject God in the garden of Eden, God came upon the scene and said that, that there is going to come one, though the serpent has bruised your heel, there's going to come one that will bruise and crush the serpent's head. From the very moment of sin, uh, there's been the promise of deliverance from it. We see in this sacrifice that uh, it was something that was miraculous that only God could provide. It was foretold uh, as Jesus even began his ministry. We're reminded in John 1 that the next day John seeing jo Jesus coming unto him said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. That picture of that Lamb that had to be sacrificed in Israel once a year to pay for the sins of the family to make an atonement or an appeasement to God for the sins of the family for that year was no longer a, a short-term sacrifice. It was no longer an annual sacrifice. It was the promised sacrifice that God had given and made clear so many years ago. Why is this sacrifice uh, promised? It's because we needed to know that God and his love and mercy toward us had a plan. And from the moment of our sin, the plan was enacted. Not only was it a promised sacrifice, but it was a powerful sacrifice. So what's so powerful about the taking of life, Pastor? That power of that sacrifice. Well, I would say this morning, first of all, as we read in John 1, that it has the power to take away sin. You see, what we have is not just an instance where God looks down in mercy and says, I forgive you of your sin. We have an, an action that Jesus, an act that he does that looks down that removes our sin. 
that our sin is no longer part of the equation, that our sin is no longer hanging over our head. You say, but pastor, I sin every day. But that sin has been paid for. When it comes to your eternal life in Christ, your position as a son or a daughter of God, that sin has been paid for. It has been reconciled. You stand maybe as a disobedient child that needs correcting, but one who is loved and one who has a father and one who has been cared for and whose life has been provided to you because the power of this sacrifice took away that sin. It forever destroyed that sin. It cast that sin as far as the east is from the west and God himself who knows everything has forgotten that sin. It is the power to satisfy the wrath of God. God is angered by sin. God in his holiness and God because of our rebellion and our rejection of him has his anger stirred against our sin. And God is just. Pastor, I thought God is love. He is love. He loves you so much that he sacrificed his own son so that he could pay the debt so that his justice could be satisfied. God is not an unjust God. God's justice must be met. And the only way that justice could be met was for me to spend an eternity in hell suffering for my sin or for Jesus to take upon himself my sin and have God in heaven pour his wrath out upon his broken body as my sin when he hung there on that cross. It is the power to satisfy the wrath of God. Hebrews chapter 10 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the corners thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hadst no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not. Neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which we are all sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He gave himself for us on Calvary's cross. It is a powerful sacrifice. A sacrifice that took away our sin. A sacrifice that, that snuffed out or satisfied and fulfilled the wrath and the justice of Almighty God. And it has the power to demonstrate that God does love us even in our sin. In Romans 5.8 he said, But God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. I'm so glad this morning that Jesus took my sin upon him, not when I decided to turn over a new leaf, not after I had cleaned up my act, not after I had attended a few church services, not after I had been baptized a few times, not after I had taken communion, but while I was in my sin, he loved me and gave himself for me. And he came today and he gave himself uh, to pay that debt. It is a powerful sacrifice. The sacrifice 
sacrifice to satisfy the justice of God, the power to demonstrate his love, the power to give eternal life. Not only that, it was a permanent sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice that has to be made over and over again. It's not a sacrifice that, uh, that in which Jesus is continually and perpetually suffering. As some believe, it was a permanent sacrifice. One that appeased God's wrath for all of eternity. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, he said, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That redemption is eternal in verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Again chapter 10 in verse number 10 by the which we were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. My friends, this morning all you had to do to deserve to spend an eternity in hell was to be born. To draw that first breath. Uh, to come into this life. Why? Because we have a sinful nature. And that sin nature has caused us to be a sinful people. And that sin has caused God uh, and His holiness to be, uh, to be offended and compromised. And the only way to reconcile my soul to my Father and your soul to our Father is the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross paying for that debt. And, in, in the, and he turns around after the resurrection and says, I have a gift for you. I have bought your peace. I have bought your freedom. I have paid your debt. Would you accept and receive the gift? of eternal life that I offer unto you. You see, my friends, there's a sacrifice. And that sacrifice was promised. And that sacrifice is powerful. And that sacrifice is permanent. Secondly, we see that there was a sepulcher. The sepulcher is a dreary place. None of us enjoy going to the cemetery. Oftentimes in life, we'll, we'll make many journeys there. Uh, the older that we get, it seems like the more frequently we have to go. It's not a place that's pleasant. Sometimes we go and we visit uh, the, the burial site of loved ones that have gone on before and we stop and we reflect and we remember uh, the sacrifices that they made for us and for our families and for their children. We stop and we remember the good times and uh, we remember the, uh, the, the Christmases and, uh, and holidays past and significant moments in life in which they were there for us. It's, it's a place that's, uh, where it's usually, uh, though there may be some smiles, it's usually a feelings of overwhelming grief that flood the heart. It's a good place to go sometimes. But it's not what God had in mind with this sepulcher. Yeah. See, there's some things about sepulchers. They're, they're prepared. A grave, a sepulcher, in this case, a, a, a cave-like structure that's been hewn out of the rock that would hold the bodies of the dead here in ancient Israel. Uh, it was a place that had to be prepared in advance. It was a prepared place. None of us even here, the way that our customs are, would go to the cemetery without the grave having already been dug in most cases. We go to a place that's prepared. And a cemetery and a sepulcher is a place prepared. It's also a permanent place. We don't go there expecting uh, for that person to come out of that grave until the Lord's return. When we go there and we lay that body in the grave, we expect if we go back in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years from now, that it will be undisturbed and that it will still be there. 
It's a powerful place. It's a place that powerfully provokes emotions from our heart. It's a place that, uh, that captivates the imagination. It's a place where we say, if I, uh, if I go here, I go to a place that took life from me. Realizing that sin is the taker of life. There is a sepulcher. Notice in chapter 23 of Luke's gospel in, chapter, in verse number 50, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. And the same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. In other words, he was, not, he was not supportive of the crucifixion of his Savior. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone and wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and behold the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Jesus on the cross cries out, it is finished, takes his last breath and bows his head and gives up the ghost. Significant to note this morning that they did not take his life from him, but he gave it. Amen. They did not even choose the, the moment and the excruciating pain of the cross as one hung on a cross to uh, try to survive as long as possible. They would have to, from the position they were in, push up with their feet, with the spike through the feet, uh, causing severe pain as it pierced the nerves and uh, to draw a breath. From the downward position, they couldn't breathe. They would have to pull and push up to struggle to get a breath of air until finally, too exhausted to lift themselves any longer, uh, they would suffocate on the cross. My friends, this morning, Jesus Christ did not die at the hand of man of suffocation on a cross. He gave up the ghost. Amen. He said and told us in John uh, chapter 10, that therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. Jesus was here to fulfill a purpose. And Jesus, having fulfilled that purpose, said it is finished. And if you look at the depth of the words there, it literally means when it says that he gave up the ghost, the literal meaning is he dismissed his spirit. Almost like a teacher dismissing the classroom. It's all complete now, though you still have the strength to draw breath, you can leave. You have other things that need to be cared for. You have other things that need to be done. And Jesus gave up the ghost. His life was not taken. His life was offered a sacrifice for our sin. This sepulcher, this prepared place, is a place where death came into focus. They took down that body. 
And as much time as they had before Sabbath set in, they cleaned and prepared and laid that body carefully in the tomb, knowing that the next Sabbath, the next day, they wouldn't, uh, that Sabbath night, they wouldn't be able to go. And so they made ready so that when they could return, they could go and properly take care of his body for permanent sealing of the tomb uh, and, and burial. And what I'm saying this morning is that when we come to the sepulcher, that death comes into focus. There are a lot of people today that are walking through life and the only thing that they can focus on in their spiritual life is death. The only thing they can focus on is emptiness. The only thing that they feel in their heart is a void that, and a chasm that cannot be filled by anything in this life. Do you ever stop and we all, we all think, I don't think that there's anybody in here that's of great means. We all think that if I just had this, I'd be happy. Or if I could just accomplish that, I would be fulfilled. But you stop and you look around the world over the last hundred years or so, how many people that had all the money uh, that, that they could hope for, more than they could spend, that wanted for nothing, that could go out and purchase on a whim anything that their heart desires, that have taken their own life because it was, it was filled, it was empty, and it was void. It meant nothing. That's the sepulcher life. A life where death is in focus. A life where my life is, is meaningless and my life is void. And the only thing that I'm accomplishing is that I wake up in the morning and I do a good job and I have an honorable name and I have a good retirement account and I'm leaving a good inheritance to my kids and I go to bed and get a good night's rest and my, uh, my heart is clean and my conscience is clear and that's a pretty good life. And to the world's standards, that's an awesome life. But by God's standards, it's an empty life. That's not the life that he gave us. That's not the life that he died to provide for us. That's not the life. He did not give us and leave us here to live a life to appease the, uh, to appease the flesh or to take care of, uh, of just the physical, but to make an investment in things that are of eternal importance. There's a sepulcher. And at the sepulcher, death is the focus. At the sepulcher, hopelessness comes into focus and overwhelms the heart. And helplessness and hopelessness Focus, draw us of any inspiration that we can accept and that we can become what God would have us to be. So here they stand. Jesus, their leader. Jesus, their inspirer. Jesus, their Messiah, is not with them speaking. His body is there, but his spirit is gone. And they take up that lifeless body and they lay it in that hewn out tomb. And they are standing there without any hope that he'll come back to life. They're standing there with not feeling completely helpless that their life can be what it was and fearing what would come uh, when all of the dust was settled and they began to be sought out. A place where the only focus was death. There was a sepulcher. Then thirdly this morning we see that there was a sunrise. That when the sun came up, the sun got up. That whenever the light began to break that eastern sky, that the light began to peep out from the stone behind that tomb. And as that stone was rolled away, there was not death that proceeded forth from a place of death, but there was life that proceeded forth from the place of death. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. They came to prepare uh, for the permanent death 
interment of Jesus' body to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus, thinking perhaps that it had been stolen. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid, uh, bowed down their faces to the earth and said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. You know, sometimes all we need to do is just remember. Remember that we're sinners. Remember that God and his love paid the sin debt. Remember that God in his compassion offered us the gift of eternal life. Remember that God has made possible for us to live an abundant life. How is that possible, Pastor? Because Christ has risen over sin. He didn't just get up out of a grave, but he rose victorious. In Romans chapter number 8, in the first four verses uh, of Romans 8, the Bible tells us there, uh, reminding us, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh... God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. What I'm saying this morning is simply this, is that once you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and the power of sin has been lifted, that you do not have to live under the, with the shackles of sin, but you have been set free to live the life that Jesus Christ has provided from you. Free from guilt, uh, free from uh, the, 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 the things of this world, free to live a life that brings honor and glory to God. He has risen over our sin. Its power is eradicated. We can live victorious in him. Not only that, but Christ has risen over Satan. He's risen over the power of the God of this world. He has risen above uh, all that stood against him since the beginning and has fought against him. And in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, he tells us the end game for Satan and the demons and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The foe that fights against us today will spend an eternity in, in a lake of fire separated from us and God and those who trust Jesus as our Savior will spend an eternity with him Amen. Christ is risen over sin he's risen over Satan and he's risen to raise you to an abundant life he said, I am not I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The thief came to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I came to give you an abundant life. Yeah. I came to give you a life of freedom. I came to give you a life that has meaning. I came to give you a life that is empowered. And my friends, this morning, from the day that Jesus Christ gave himself over to that guard and was marched through the garden into the city, and that was put on trial in the night illegally by Caiaphas and then taken to Pilate and condemned 
and then beaten and scourged and made to carry a cross up a hill. And then nailed and spiked to that cross, wearing a crown of thorns that pierced his skull. And then crying out to God, it is finished. And then dismissing his spirit and fulfilling God's plan to pay for the sins of all mankind. And then allowing himself uh, to be taken down and to be laid in the tomb. Only to rise up on that third day. From the day that that began until the moment that he rose from the grave. When he rose, things were different. And I'm telling you this morning that now things are different. If your life this morning is wrecked and ruined by sin, that things can be different now. The moment that you trust Jesus as your Savior, things will be different. If you are, say, Pastor, I know I'm saved, but uh, this sin and this thing has got its it's grip on me and I just no matter how hard I try I cannot break free I'm telling you friend it's different now and the moment that you give your heart and your soul to Christ in the moment that you let the spirit of God work in your life in the moment that you turn from your sin and to his word you have been given the power to live an abundant life free from the enslavement of sin things are different now I'm going to tell you this morning the savior things are different because the savior isn't coming he has come He's already been here. And I realize he's coming again. And I'm looking forward to that day and for that moment. But when it comes to our salvation, he's not coming. It's no longer a promise. It's been fulfilled. We are not helpless this morning. We are empowered to live the life that God has given us to live. And we are not hopeless this morning because Jesus Christ is our living hope. And we are not here to live in defeat. We are here to overcome. You can overcome everything that's going on wrong in your life. So, Pastor, I've got a disease. Well, I, uh, does that mean I'm going to just automatically be healed? Well, God in his mercy might heal you here, but he will for sure heal you when you come into his presence. There's not anything that can overwhelm us, overtake us, if we keep our faith and trust in Christ. Why? Because he went to the cross. Why? Because he gave up the ghost. Why? Because he took his life back up again. Why? Because when he rose, he rose victorious with the keys of death and hell and things are different now.